Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. But the fact of the matter is, in the last couple of months, there really hasn't been very much in the way of territorial gains on the part of the Russian military. And one of the reasons for that seems to be that they've mobilized a lot of people, but they can't really get that many weapons to people. It's unclear whether or not that's because their industry simply isn't efficient enough or whether or not sanctions are taking a toll on some of that. But right now, you have a case where people keep talking about an offensive that's about to happen, um, but so far, very little in the way of gains if that offensive is indeed already underway if the russian offensive is underway it's not impressive so far a couple of things on the war in ukraine and the one-year anniversary of this whole awful thing starting i'm into this story for geopolitical reasons for student history reasons for personal reasons of just the humanity i mean just awful but if you're not into this story, you should be into it at least as a taxpayer, as we've now spent $113 billion, and it looks like you know we're going to continue down that road for some time to come. Two big developments today on the one-year anniversary. The Biden administration puts out a list of 200 entities they're going to sanction harshly for continuing to do business with Russia when they're not supposed to, and China put out a peace plan for a ceasefire between Russia and Ukraine and blah, 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 blah. Speaking of entities that have been getting around the sanctions. Excuse me for not acting like a kid on Christmas morning receiving the gift of the Chinese plan. Uh, let's discuss the past year and what's likely to come with uh, military analyst Mike Lyons. Mike served with various military organizations, both the U.S. and Europe throughout his career. You know him from a uh, number of uh, publications and networks. Mike, how are you, sir? Hey, good morning, guys. Great to be back. A year ago, our own government was saying Kiev could fall in 96 hours. What were you thinking a year ago? Uh, and looking back on what you thought, how do you respond? 
Yeah, probably the same. I, you know, Russia had tremendous capability, capacity with their military. They had uh, maneuver space. They had all the things going. They wound up their military machine, put about 180,000 troops, surrounded Ukraine, came in from Belarus, came in from um, eastern Russia. Uh, it should have been over in three or four days. It should have been a desert storm um, had they fought a combined arms fight. But they instead did what Russia does best. And, and when a military perspective comes, they just kind of slug it through and they, they, they did not use their combined arms advantage. And uh, Ukraine was able to hold off and hold out for what uh, was the first few months. And then equipment starts pouring in. And now we're, we're left with uh, a year later with a, a, a true stalemate, a war of attrition taking place on both sides. Well, as not only an analyst, but a man who commanded troops in combat, how would you describe to the layman the level of underperformance of the Russian military in this so far? Oh, my gosh. I, it, um, it's hard to, to think about anything less than what they've done. I mean, I, it, you know, they had they outnumbered them, the Ukraine military, six to one in some areas to go on the offense uh, with artillery rounds, with combined arms forces. The fact that a year later the Russians don't control the airspace is amazing. There was, there, there was no real coordinated plan on how they were going to take Ukraine down. I mean, it's, it's, it's talking brass tacks here, but you know, the first thing the United States does in any of these kind of wars is we go after all their air defense platforms and make sure that we own the skies. Now we have air superiority. Now we roll in the troops from behind. They, they didn't do any of that. They, they just literally thought that the Ukraine military was just going to roll through and um, got, got punched in the nose. And then, and then in the fight, when the fight started happening, uh, unfortunately, Russian soldiers uh, you know, didn't, didn't answer the bell. I was looking at your Twitter feed, that uh, picture you put out. Is that a young you in 1990? No. Those are nope. two privates in my company. Okay. No, uh, Leffingwell and, uh, yeah, no, two privates from my company. We fired, you know, everybody claims they fired the first round of the war, right? So the, we, we fired, we were one of those units that did. That was the day before the ground war started at Desert Storm. We fired copperhead rounds on targets. So we, we were already two miles inside of Iraq before the war actually started. I remember listening to the BBC saying, oh, yeah, the war's going to start here pretty soon. I'm like, no, nope, actually, the war's already on. We're getting up tomorrow morning. We're rolling, we're rolling north. So that, those are the two of my good privates there that, uh, that shut that round. And uh, Russia thought they were going to pull off that sort of thing where you just you roll in and take over in a couple of days. And it's, uh, it's, right. it's, it, it, yeah, it's a, the allure of battle. And, and the, this is where Desert Storm gave this impression that other countries and other militaries can do this. And the thing about it is the United States literally practiced for that battle for, the, for 10 years. They sent units to the National Training Center. Anyone who's listening knows what I'm talking about. You go to the National Training Center, you fight that fight there, you practice. You, we practiced that for about 10 years. We showed up from Germany. We showed up with 500,000 troops, and that's why that went that way. Russia thought that, that, that the same thing was going to happen. They didn't put the same number of troops there, about 180,000 or so. They thought the same thing was going to happen, didn't recognize you have to practice that and you have to plan on, on, on things going that way. So, Mike Lyons, where are we now and what's likely to take shape in the next six months or so? So in, in history gets to this spot where both sides are at a stalemate in, in this war of attrition. Now, in the past, either side starts attacking the other side's capability to wage war. Now, Ukraine doesn't have that capability. They can't go on the offense into Russia. They can't attack, you know, uh, tank factories and ammunition depots inside of Russia where they're stored or where they're made. Uh, now, Russia can. Russia's trying to do that to Ukraine, but Western supplies keep pouring in. So 
classic war by proxy on our side and, and the West is supplying Ukraine, propping them up without this happening, that Ukraine would be in real big trouble. I, I think you're going to see, um, with, with a, also with a 600-mile front, this talk about the offense. and about, I'm listening to analysts say, oh, Ukraine's getting ready to go on the offense. And I sit there and say, with what? They'd, ha- they'd have to have 120,000 troops themselves, plus 600 uh, you know, plus artillery and tanks and mechanized infantry vehicles, bulldozers. There's so many things that are still lacking from their kit in order for them to expect su- the success. Or we have the same thing on, on the other side. We have this hamburger machine where you, we don't want to see Ukrainian soldiers getting thrown into the Russian hamburger machine because the Russians can defend just as well as anybody. So I think we're going to see, to, to kind of net it out here, uh, North and South Korea. We're going to see a DMZ between occupied land. Russia's going to take some of this Ukraine land. The question is if they take Crimea or not. Um, that's, that ha- that's how this ends, but it's not ending anytime soon because Russia is going to continue to fight for at least, for, I think, at least for another year. So is that an argument for arming the Ukrainians more, giving them the F-16s, giving them more so that they can not have it be a war of attrition, which seems like it's in Russia's favor, but uh, they can launch an offensive? Well, I still don't think the F-16 matter. They don't get there on time. They're, they're, they're not close to air support. The kind of, um, you know, they need 400 tanks and then the crews to man them. They need artillery, you know, five times more artillery. They, they need a, a whole lot more. They need divisions worth of equipment that we really can't give them. And the other side that is ammunition. They're already starting to run out. You heard the NATO commander say that we're running out of ammunition. Uh, artillery ammunition, and we'd have to now ramp that up on our side because we're taking stocks out of Israel, we've taken stocks out of South Korea, we've taken stocks out of different places, so we're going to have to start making our own ammunition here pretty soon. So I, I think that um, we're, we're going to continue to do as best we can. As long as Ukraine is holding the line from their perspective, I, I think that's what, they, that's, that's what we should be happy for. Hey, uh, I know, Jack, you want to ask your big question to Mike in a moment. But before we get there, just out of curiosity, Mike, because we have listeners who uh, some, not many, who are much more sympathetic to the Russian side than I think a lot of Americans are um, mm-hmm. and, and will say, what's the matter with you guys? Research it. There actually were Nazis in Donbass and, and, and Putin's right. They're denazifying it. Uh, what's your take on 2014 on and the so-called Nazis and, and the situation in that part of Ukraine? Yeah, so that was a problem not solved in 2014. Those separatists that control those areas in the Donbass region and in Crimea as Russia takes it on. You know, again, look at history. Wars start like this because problems that can get to kick down the road, and that's what happened here. Um, that's possible. That likely could have happened. There could have been pockets of those kinds of things. Um, it's hard to project, again, our culture on anybody else's culture, Eastern European, the, you know, the Nazification or so, and the, the impact that that had you know, over 80 years ago with inside of Europe still trickles out there. It's still out there, and it's, it gets accelerated with social media. Uh, but, yeah, there's always two sides to every story, um, and, and there's those that want to believe Russia doesn't will come out losing here. And losing to them will mean likely they still keep Crimea, they keep some of those areas in the east, um, but they've lost a, a tremendous face in the, in the grand stage of the grand world. How important is this conflict to the United States? If Ukraine lost, what would be the, the national interest at stake here? Well, we would have to define losing for Ukraine, right? So Ukraine's not going to win by vanquishing Russia, right? That's not happening. So as long as Ukraine wins by <clears throat> having some kind of semblance of an agreement of a new border for whatever that is, uh, and then 
the rebuilding of Ukraine starts, it's going to start with them being part of the EU first and foremost, and then perhaps um, five or six years down the road, maybe they'll be now part of NATO. I think that's going to be on the table uh, as part of any of these negotiations. So that, I don't see Ukraine losing at this point. You know, they, they win by not losing in some level, because Russia now doesn't really have the capability to vanquish Ukraine in the same side. But in the same token, neither does Ukraine in the same side with Russia. Well, is keeping the world order in place uh, at stake, or as you have said in the past, do you feel this is more of a regional conflict between Ukraine and Russia? No, it's a regional conflict still. I think that that's European regional conflict is still first and foremost, and we're fighting it by proxy. China ha- is a big wild card, but you now see they want to negotiate a peace settlement. Why? Because they recognize their client state, Russia, doesn't look very favorable. It looks like they're losing. Um, and now they don't want to be part of a losing team. But but at the end of the day, it's in both China's interest and the United States' interest to have a very weak Russian military. So that's all part of this. I mean, I know the people at the Pentagon are like, yeah, let's go, keep keep it up, keep smashing them, because the more the Russian military gets destroyed, the less the threat they become down the road. I think the Chinese feel the same way about Russia as well. Interesting. Yeah, we could talk for a day and a half about uh, China's relationship with Russia, not just the obvious uh, day-to-day stuff, but the historical nature and their shared border and the rest of it. But uh, perhaps another time, uh, military analyst uh, Mike Lyons. Mike, it's always enjoyable. Thanks a million. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that's what you opened the show with, was people, uh, countries and people do what's in their national interest. And maybe the whole war of attrition, we're in this for the long haul. Our national interest is wearing down the Russian military and depleting them spending them into oblivion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely a part of it. Uh, But, you know, if I was going to say one thing semi-complimentary about China and its leadership is they do take the long view. They're often wildly wrong, but they have the discipline to think about their grandchildren in a way that American politics is just abysmal at. Again, their system is, is unspeakably terrible, communism and, and the way they see humanity. But at least they have some discipline to it. So, yeah, it's entirely possible they're in bed with Russia to prop up Russia to get good and bled dry. (laughs) Wow. So then China's clearly the hegemon. That means the the hard ass uh, in that part of the world. Yeah. Uh, One thing, and I didn't uh, didn't want to get off track on this, but the one thing I don't get is the argument. And this has been going on for a year now. Now, if we give them this, it takes training and it would take two months to get up. Well, a year has gone by and everybody thinks another year or two or five is going to go by. So mm-hmm. well, I don't understand the argument of it take it take months. It'd be a, six months before they'd be in the country and then you got to train. Well, it would seem that we have the time. Yeah, let's plant the oak tree today and see what happens. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, hear don't, I don't quite get that argument, but you hear it a lot. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.